Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Imagine stepping into a computer-generated virtual universe. In the morning, you can plug in for a face-to-face with your colleagues. At lunchtime, you can head over to the beach to relax. Or play golf on the surface of the moon. The afternoon could be spent working in a corner office in Hogwarts, and your desk is still messy from the day before. Imagine experiencing all of that while never even leaving your home. This virtual world would be so immersive that you could own space, walk around, interact with people, even make money. Welcome to the Metaverse. Hello, this is Babbage from Economist Radio, our weekly podcast on technology and science. I'm Alok Jha, the Economist science correspondent. This week, we'll be diving into virtual worlds, interactive, computer-generated realities that are rapidly taking their place alongside or even replacing the real physical environments in which we would normally spend our time. We'll see how these virtual worlds are already being used in everything from filmmaking to architecture. And we'll look to the future. What will it take to build a real metaverse, a fully immersive, persistent virtual world that anyone can plug into? This vision, born in the minds of science fiction writers, is actually shaping the real-world ambitions of much of the tech world. It is irrefutable at this point that more and more of our lives will exist digitally. Throughout the show, we'll talk to the people who are trying to build the metaverse and the tools needed to access it. People want virtual reality to exist and we just keep trying and we keep improving. And if, as some hope, the metaverse becomes the successor to the web, Will it be something we experience within our lifetimes? These days, we're spending a lot of our time in virtual worlds. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced many of us to work and socialise from home. That means Zoom meetings, FaceTime calls, games on house party. All of these places allow people to connect, interact and get things done. Video calling apps and online collaboration tools have existed long before the pandemic came along. But the global health crisis has accelerated these technologies into the mainstream, far faster than any enthusiast could have dreamt. Zoom meetings might not feel very futuristic, but they are a step towards a much more immersive future. As online digital work and leisure spaces become more familiar, they become the foundations on which more ambitious virtual worlds, such as the metaverse, can eventually be built. My name is Neil Stevenson. I'm primarily known as an author of science fiction and historical fiction. I think I took it as a given when I was writing Snow Crash that that people would sort of figure out a way to do it. The it Neil's talking about is the metaverse, which is his vision for an immersive virtual world. He invented it 
for Snow Crash, a cyberpunk masterpiece published in 1992 and probably the best known of his more than 80 books. Sometime in the near future, years after a worldwide economic collapse, Los Angeles has ceded from the United States. A pizza delivery man and rogue hacker called Hero Protagonist roams around and finds adventure in the metaverse, a persistent virtual world. Snow Crash is nerd heaven. It might be fiction, but the three-decade-old novel has been remarkably prescient. Among the technology ideas it predicted are Google Earth, anti-piracy software and even hacktivist groups such as Anonymous. But perhaps the book's most enduring vision will be the metaverse. It was the late 1980s and I had been working on a project to create a graphic novel. I've been doing a lot of graphics programming on the Macintosh. I was just trying to imagine what a popular medium would look like centered on the use of 3D graphics technology. And the metaverse was my best guess as to what something like that might look like. I pretty much sat down and wrote it based on some simple ideas around creating a blank volume of space and then making it possible for what we would now call content creators or developers to claim territory in that space and occupy it with um, whatever kind of content they wanted to make. This was pre-internet as we know it, even pre-email as we know it. The influence of the metaverse from Snow Crash extends far beyond the literary world. Tech companies including Jeff Bezos's rocket company Blue Origin and the startup Magic Leap have brought Stevenson in-house, and he's quickly become a sought-after futurist in Silicon Valley. You won't find a tech CEO that is not truly obsessed with the book. Matthew Ball is a media analyst and venture capitalist who first pointed me in the direction of Snow Crash. Now, I know what you're thinking. The metaverse is a neat device for science fiction, but is it ever going to be real? Well, many serious minds in the tech industry certainly think so. And in fact, many of the pieces we need to build a metaverse are already settling into place. It is irrefutable at this point that more and more of our lives will exist digitally in virtual worlds or experiences that we will access our friends, our work, our playtime, our media, our experiences will happen virtually. Increasing familiarity with digital spaces, as has happened during the pandemic, is one of the pieces of the metaverse puzzle. Matthew points to another piece. If you want to explore an interactive virtual world, you need easy ways to simulate and program those virtual worlds. That technology has come of age in recent years, and from a surprising place, video games. For decades, two things have been true. The most sophisticated simulation software has been for video games, and the most technologically capable consumer-grade hardware has been a game console. Technologically, the hardware and the quality of the simulation has just gotten to a point in which it actually is a mass-scalable thing, as opposed to something that's obscure, and it only appeals to a small set of people who are obsessed with the film The Matrix. And similarly, we are now experiencing a degree of societal change that is forcing us to make this thing more relevant. Video games are powered by software called game engines. These manage the rules, logic and physics of a simulated world. 
Epic Games, one of the world's largest games makers, responsible for classics like Gears of War and Unreal Tournament, licenses its games engine, called Unreal, to all sorts of customers who can go on to make their own games, or, as is increasingly the case, far more. The military for its simulations is increasingly using and building immersive training capabilities on Unreal. That's actually incredibly hard. When you think of what's required for a military simulation, it's fire, it's heat, it's coloring, it's smoke, it's rope, it's what happens when the rope is on fire. And so what's ended up happening is these game technologies that have been built for 40 years have ended up being so purpose perfect for what's happening in the world today. GM now has a dedicated in-house team. You can go to the website and say, hey, I want the new 2020. Corvette Stingray, let's change the color of the paint. Let's change the color of the leather. Okay, now let's switch that and make that a different material. So you can create your own Corvette down to the smallest detail. Dana Cowley is from Epic Games. The company's Unreal Engine is doing far more than helping to sell cars. Fox Sports just announced that they're using Unreal for to populate virtual crowds and major league baseball games. And a few of those have already gone on the air. And it's not meant to trick people. It's just meant to make it feel kind of natural. Engines like Unreal are also transforming the creative industries. When filming the Star Wars TV spin-off The Mandalorian, producers used games engines to develop photorealistic landscapes for the series. This is the way. These formed backdrops that sat behind the actors during scenes. They were displayed on a giant 55-metre-wide video wall. It's in the DNA of ILM to be inventing new techniques while we are creating these movies. Rob Bredow is Chief Creative Officer from Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, the legendary visual effects company that works on The Mandalorian. Dating back to the Star Wars movie Rogue One, we had been using LEDs for illumination, but for Mandalorian, it was the first time that we had used real-time graphics at this scale to completely wrap around a set and photograph it directly and put it right in the show. And to be honest, we weren't sure that it was gonna work when we started. We were hoping it was. We had done some testing to prove that it looked viable, but until we had built the full-scale set and started shooting in it, we weren't sure how smooth it was gonna be, and it really exceeded all of our expectations. It was a fantastic tool. It's basically taking the post out of post-production. It's bringing the, the VFX people closer with the directors. As we become more and more advanced with the way we're able to composite the live action against the digital reality, it's going to be that much more convincing. Building believable, realistic virtual worlds is just in a day's work for the artists at ILM. But it takes time, years in fact, to draw and render special effects for movies such as Star Wars. Games engines have allowed ILM to speed that process up to create detailed, believable virtual worlds in days. Given the lower budgets and faster turnaround times needed for a television series as opposed to a feature film, games engines are arguably what made something as visually lavish as The Mandalorian possible for the small screen. And building realistic worlds quickly will also be a key requirement for the metaverse. Television started out as an expensive laboratory curiosity and then became very cheap and very accessible by becoming a mass broadcast medium. 
And so I was trying to imagine a similar transition that could happen in the case of three-dimensional computer graphics. When Neil Stevenson first imagined the metaverse, it never occurred to him that video games would play such an important role in achieving his vision. One thing I got wrong in Snow Crash was sort of assuming a television model for the development of this medium. I thought it would grow kind of in the way that television had grown and that that would be the pathway to making it cheap and accessible. And that was wrong. What, what grew instead was games. One of the games that has already taken some of the steps to creating something resembling a metaverse is Fortnite. Yes, that Fortnite, the cartoony shooting game your teenager can't put down. Earlier this year, despite concert venues around the world being closed because of COVID-19, the rapper Travis Scott was performing live to millions. During the gig, Travis turned into a neon cyborg, then a deep-sea diver, as the world around him filled with water and spectators swam around his giant figure. How? Travis was performing inside the world of Fortnite. When Travis Scott did his concert, he had like 27 million players come in over the weekend to watch one of those five showings. And so then we're starting to think about like, well, what happens, you know, if like we could have a concert over here in Fortnite, you know, enable these artists to eventually be able to do it without a lot of handholding from us. There's so much rapid adoption that we thought would take three to four years to really take hold. And now with everyone being at home on their devices, ready to like rescale, it's happened in three to four months instead. We can't go to physical concerts. Either we have to say that's a concert or we have to accept there are no more concerts. The second in which we start to embrace the legitimacy of Zoom-based meetings, comedy, concerts, which have been happening for months now, the difference between Travis Scott having a digital camera scan his face, encode them to color, reproduce them in front of me in pixels that isn't actually him. It's just rendered to look like him based on the color data of individual millions of pixels. And the decision to instead just re-render him into a synthetic avatar is actually a fictitious difference, right? There's actually no difference. It's just about do we want him to look like the most accurate version of him or not? And so that just tells you the societal change that is happening where we're understanding that not only is the simulation technology at a point in which it's actually very immersive, very real feeling, but we're also starting to embrace this cultural shift where we're seeing the need and legitimacy of this as a medium overall. When it comes to creating virtual worlds for the metaverse, things are moving quickly. But how are we all going to access these new digital spaces? Coming up is seeing believing. Any uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and the reverse is true too. Any sufficiently ubiquitous technology doesn't feel like technology anymore. And could this technology turn us into better people? If you can turn your body into any other body in virtual reality, we might be able to access this other level of effective human intelligence and understanding. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In 1641, the French philosopher René Descartes started seriously doubting the world around him. What if, he thought, he couldn't believe what his eyes and ears told him about the world? What if a powerful, malignant demon was spending all its time and effort deceiving him, manipulating him to experience things that were not actually real? I will suppose that the sky, the air, the earth, colours, figures, sounds and all external things are nothing better than the illusions of dreams, by means of which this being has led snares for my credulity. It would take another 330 years before computer scientist Jaron Lanier would come up with a term to describe what Descartes was worried about, virtual reality. VR is, in a funny way, Kind of nothing in, in the sense that stage magic is sort of nothing. If you were to look at stage magic dispassionately, it would disappear. Some part of you has to want to believe or want to be fooled in a way for stage magic to have its power. And there's a sense like that in VR. It's ultimately a bag of tricks to give your brain the ability to believe in an alternate world. Descartes' vision is a neat metaphor for the virtual reality hardware we'll need to enter the metaverse. Virtual reality, or VR, delivered via a headset is another sci-fi staple. In the real world, these headsets have their origins with a device called the Sword of Damocles. Developed in 1968, it was made of a headset containing a pair of cathode ray tubes, one for each eye. It was so heavy that it had to be hung from the ceiling like the mythical sword. A lot's changed since 1968. Modern VR headsets, such as Facebook's Oculus Quest and Sony's PlayStation VR, can support sophisticated graphics and are, importantly, much cheaper. These headsets and their successors could become important ways to experience fully immersive virtual worlds, such as the metaverse. Thing is, though, we've been here before. Can we really be sure that now they'll hit the big time? Jaron Lanier again. VR is the most intimate digital technology and therefore it requires the greatest leap of change in personal habit and perspective. And I don't think that there's going to be a single VR moment. I think this phenomenon of waves will continue for a while. When people like VR, they like it a lot. So even if it isn't most people, those who use it really become quite enthused about it. I would say that there's still something of a convenience gap that prevents virtual reality from being used very widely. For instance, if putting on a headset separates you from people who are in the room with you because they don't also have headsets or for whatever reason, then it is actually having the reverse effect of what people are looking for, which is a new shared experience. And so that creates an inherent kind of a breaking mechanism that pre prevents it from scaling. For people to plug into a metaverse, the technology required to experience it is going to need to be cheap, foolproof and comfortable to use. 
Right now, there are still plenty of hurdles. We're in not like the brick cell phone stage, but I think we're in like the car phone stage when you carry it around with the briefcase. That's not a measure of, of the tech now. I think it's as good as it can possibly be. It's just a measure of how good it's going to get. Timoni West is director of mixed reality tools at Unity Technologies, one of the leading companies making game engines. Mixed reality is a term used by the industry to describe all the different types of virtual worlds. Think of it as a spectrum. At one end is fully immersive VR using headsets, where a user's entire field of view is generated by computers. At the other end of the spectrum is augmented reality, or AR. This is where the real environment a user sees is overlaid with computer-generated objects. Pokemon Go is probably the most famous example. Snapchat filters are another. Virtual reality and augmented reality are one of those ideas that simply never goes away. Like the keyboard was first invented in the 16th century and, you know, 50 different individuals invented it time and time again. Why? Because it's a great idea. It's the thing that people dream of. It's the reason why, you know, da Vinci drew a helicopter hundreds of years before it would come to fruition. People want virtual reality to exist and we just keep trying and we keep improving. And as, you know, we have new advances in technology, as we have new surprising applications like mobile GPUs, who knew that would be the key to making virtual reality cheap enough, then people continue to push forward. But it will never go away. People will never say, well, we tried and now we're going to give up. So I think we are at the stages now of moving out of the theoretical prototype, the $18,000 concept that's funded by you know military money and, and academia, and we've moved into the consumer-grade uh, electronic space. And now we've got another 30 years before it gets to that point of being this daily-use object that's in our pocket. My guess, though, is because we're so used to consumer technology being part of our lives and because people are so invested in it that the, the time span will be compressed compared to the proliferation of mobile phones. The software to create the metaverse is coming on in leaps and bounds. The hardware to access it is becoming cheaper and faster. There's still much work to be done on both sides before Neil Stevenson's vision of the metaverse is actually here. But let's allow ourselves to imagine that future for a moment. If the metaverse were here, if we were able to plug into VR technology as easily as wearing a pair of glasses, where could we go with it? It might be that we recreate human experiences by going to concerts or hanging out with friends in more immersive ways online. But Jaron Lanier wonders if such technologies could actually extend human experience. Perhaps inhabiting different bodies, that of an eagle or a fish or even a cloud, could give people access to new forms of intelligence or expression. If you look at somebody improvising jazz on a piano, they're solving problems at a faster rate than they would be able to on paper because there's a lot of little math problems embedded in improvising jazz. And so there's this amazing thing of like, how are they doing it so fast? How's it possible? And the thing is there, the body is connected to the brain with the spinal cord. It has a big chunk of the cortex devoted to it. And it's just like an area where a lot of our intelligence is concentrated. We have a whole lot of intelligence con concentrated on interpreting vision, of course, but we probably have even more in the combination of interpreting what our body feels and what it does. 
And so if you can turn your body into any other body in virtual reality, we might be able to access this other level of effective human intelligence and understanding that peaks out once in a while with a great athlete or with somebody playing jazz piano and, and so on, with these, these instances of body intelligence. And if we could make that more accessible, that might be really interesting. And so that's been another guiding vision for me for virtual reality. That, that, see, that's very exciting because it's defined in terms of people rather than in terms of the technology. So how far away are we from the metaverse? Is it something that we'll be plugging into this decade? Matthew Ball again. When you talk about virtual existence, you start to have core problems. One of those core problems is, think about existence today. We can have two million people march concurrently in the same world, in the same universe. We can all get together physically. The processing power required for what's called high concurrency and concurrent users in a persistent shared environment. Shared being, we're all in the same one. So concurrency is how many people are using it, and then how many people are in the same thing. And then persistence, which is to say it doesn't reset, it endures, there's history. You step down on the pavement when it's wet, and if you come back a year later, your footprint's still there. The technology required for those three things, high concurrency, persistence, and shared, is not there. Fortnite, as an example, when 12 and a half million people participated in the Travis Scott concert, it was actually 12 and a half million people split in groups of 50 across 250,000 different simulations. And those simulations were actually not happening in exact synchronicity. You and I might be a half second or two seconds behind one another, and there's no persistence to it. And on top of that, Epic had to cap the 12 and a half million people. And so there are enormous impediments to growth there. Those are technological challenges that have not been solved. And it's not like suddenly you can have a million people in a shared experience that's persistent. It's that it goes from 50 to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000. Creating a functional, interactive, three-dimensional universe with many participants, many players, is just many, many orders of magnitude more complicated than HTML. Author Neil Stevenson again. It's going to be interesting. There's going to be a tension between the desire for open standards and interoperability and letting everyone play versus practical considerations of how do you actually make that realistically work. Timoni West is more optimistic. I think most of the things that we would want out of the metaverse, we do already have today. They're just more benign <laughs> than expected. Or, you know, what's the, the quote, you know, any, any uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and the reverse is true, too. Any sufficiently ubiquitous technology doesn't feel like technology anymore. You know, like we already have MMOs that are decades old. We have people who have avatars that are decades old. You know, my team routinely every week goes into virtual reality and hangs out together because we can't see each other in real life. And if we can't see each other in real life, we hang on VR together because, you know, we like it. That's what that we're, we're into it. The metaverse feels more possible than ever. For sure, many technicalities remain to be worked out. But it's certainly worth thinking already about how such a powerful virtual space could alter the way humans relate to each other and to reality itself. I always thought that the best moment in virtual reality was exactly when you take off the headset because you have this opportunity to compare 
realities. You have this opportunity to compare a constructed world with the natural world. And in comparison, the natural world just has this boundless mystery and depth to it. And I, I, I think of virtuality as being perhaps more than anything else a palate freshener for reality. We're so used to reality, of course, it's exactly what we live in every day. But when we were children, it was still new to us. We remember that sense of it being fresh with longing, you know, with this kind of almost mystical sense of how the world felt new, but only when we were young, that, that we can recall but have trouble recapturing. I don't claim that, that reality can fully recapture it, but I do think there's this moment when you move from virtuality back to reality where you re-experience that fresh encounter with what reality is like. And I think that that's marvelous. That's all for this week's Babbage. If you want to learn more about virtual worlds and the metaverse, you can read my technology quarterly in full at economist.com. There you can also catch up on all the latest developments in science and technology. If you're not yet a subscriber, Babbage listeners can sign up for the best introductory offer at economist.com slash podcast offer. That's economist.com slash podcast offer. I'm Alok Jha in London. This is The Economist. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.